Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone. This is the 168th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Many of you know that I just launched my second best-selling book, Dial Up the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. If you have a daughter or son between the ages of 17 to 25, this book is for you. When your child graduates from high school, you feel, and rightly so, that you have hit a huge marker for your daughter's future. But then you wonder, what is my role here? What does my relationship look like now that they have left home? This is such an ambiguous, confusing, and often stressful time of mothering that I wanted to address the questions that moms have been asking me for years. And I experienced this passage with my own daughter and definitely felt all the feelings. You can order Dial Up the Dream wherever books are sold. And for you moms who would rather listen to a book because you don't have time to read, then you can order Dial Up the Dream on Audible. Or you can take your book to your favorite pool, lake, or beach and enjoy some summer reading. Okay, I brought back my friend and therapist colleague, Sherry Dusan, back as a guest host. Sherry Dusan is a Texas and an Arizona licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice and the founder and director of the Center for Postpartum Family Health in Houston, Texas. Since 1999, she has focused her practice on helping new mothers and the needs of young families. In 2014, she opened the Center for Postpartum Family Health using therapists training under her supervision to provide services on a sliding scale to the community. Sherry and I dive into Chapter 7, Healing Conversations, in my book, Dial Up the Dream. 
Healing conversations rarely start as healing conversations. They start as hard conversations. Hello, welcome back to Power Your Parenting with Colleen O'Grady. I'm your guest host, Sherry Dusan, friend and confidant of Colleen O'Grady. And I will be continuing our conversation with Colleen in the author's role today as uh, the author of her second book, Dial Up the Dream. We had such fun talking about it. We decided that we had more to discuss. And so this is part two. If you haven't heard part one, you really ought to go back and listen to that first. Uh, Like Colleen, I'm a family therapist from the Houston area and uh, have been working with families and mothers myself for many years. I'm the founder and director of the Center for Postpartum Family Health in Houston, which focuses on the pregnancy and postpartum years of mothering. If you know anybody that could use our help, send them our way. So Colleen, we're going to talk today about those difficult conversations with our daughters. And yes. I wondered if you could just tell us why it's important to have some skill in <laughs> navigating those hard conversations. Why does that matter? <laughs> well, I'm laughing because you and I are both family therapists, right? Yes. And we are both mothers. Yes. And we both have daughters who are now in their their 20s. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if, Sherry, you've ever had a hard conversation with your daughter that's gone south. Oh, gosh. No, (laughs) let me think. (laughs) Because you're a therapist and you Um, should know how to have a skilled conversation. Well, I have no skills with my own family. So let's (laughs) just first say that. And second, there's just something about that energy between mothers and daughters that can get sparked so quickly yes. that it, you know, what might seem like just a nice normal conversation with another person doesn't always go so well because of that really fine, I think, attunement that there is between most mothers and daughters that they're kind of on the same wavelength or trying to read between the lines. I don't know that that's true for everybody, but I think it's pretty common to just feel like there's this invisible energy, hyper attunement to what do you really mean? What are you really saying? You know, you have an opinion. Are you judging me? You are judging me. (laughs) (laughs) And then the daughter has some feelings too. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I know. I think this is perfect because here you and I are, and we had been seasoned therapists when our kids turned 11, 12, 13, 14. And it is difficult. Like I would say before 18 is we're initiating a lot of the hard conversations. And we're like, you know, we need to talk. And then their antennas go off and they're armored up. They are defensive. So there is a different kind of hard conversation that happens after 18. I mean, sometimes it happens in junior, senior year. I wouldn't say it never happens. But there's a hard conversation that happens when your daughter initiates it. And often it's when she's left home and she's come back. And I think it's hard because we're not expecting it. So this hard conversation that happens 
when your daughter has left the home and's come back and she's 18 or 19 or 20, it just comes out of the blue and you could be driving in the car. And often we as mothers are expecting our young adult daughters and 18, 19 year old daughters to say, mom, you know, I really appreciate you now. I get it. You know, I didn't get it home and now I have a messy roommate and I have to clean her side of the room. And now I see what you've been saying. And we're kind of hoping that we're going to finally be appreciated. So these hard conversations are not at all what we expected. And so they just lay into us out of nowhere. We've just bought them a new pair of yoga pants and then they attack us in 35 different ways. And we're like, where did that come from? And we can get super defensive and upset and hurt and angry in a nanosecond. When we talked about that question about how to navigate skillfully, it's really counterintuitive. When you've been attacked, when you've been misunderstood, skill doesn't seem like that's important because it feels like survival, like you are so wrong. So I don't know if you've ever had those feelings before. Of course. I mean, it sounds like you're saying the element of surprise is one of the things that make it tricky. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when your child is in your home, you're kind of tracking how they're doing. And you may even notice certain behaviors that kind of indicate a mood or, you know, you're kind of tracking with them. And when they're away, these phone calls may come out of the blue without any warning and you haven't necessarily tracked with what's going on or whether they're doing well or not. You know, I think everybody panics a little bit when they hear from their kid who's away, you know, it's like your first reaction is what's wrong, you know? Yes. <laughs> and so sometimes they are in a crisis and sometimes they just want to chat. And so you just never really know what's coming and maybe that's part of the challenge is that kind of element of surprise. It's it's hard to stay just like real chill and real calm when you don't expect to be contacted and then you don't know what it's about, you know? So you're already starting kind of keyed up, what, oh my gosh, what's going on, you know? But you're also talking about when they call and they actually are criticizing us for some reason or they're... Yeah, so I completely agree about that element of surprise. Mm-hmm that we just did not see this coming. Yeah. And I think what happens is that when they're away, they are starting to make up the story of their life. Mm -hmm. They're talking to boyfriends, to roommates, to maybe even other therapists, adults, mm -hmm. and they're College trying professors, teachers. Yeah. And they're trying to make sense of their life. Mm -hmm. So often if their life is not going well, if they feel blocked or stuck in an area of their life, unfortunately, moms are the first target. Yeah, kind of because they're the safe home base, kind of the thing we talked about before, that you're the yes. safe place. And so, you know, things are tense for them or they're upset. It's like dumping on mom feels like a safe thing to do. I don't think they're thinking about what that's like for us, but I can see... <laughs> why it happens from their side, because it's like, oh my gosh, all this new stuff I'm having to navigate, figure out, and I just got to talk to my mom, you know, yes. which is great in some ways, you know, <laughs> if they're coming to us, but 
again, if you're just like ambushed or surprised or in the middle of your own life, it can not always go really smoothly. Yeah. And here's what happens is your daughter's trying to make a story of her life and she has kind of a sketchy story. What I mean sketchy is it's a limited story. It's a very black and white story. And so if she feels really stuck in an area of her life, like she's having trouble in dating or relationships or just what to do with her life, then she's making up this story really about her making sense of her life. So why moms get blamed is that really they think that we are all powerful so that we should have been able to make it all okay when they were little. You know, so maybe a mom had to go through a divorce. Maybe there was someone had cancer. Maybe life didn't go as smoothly as the daughter had wanted it to be. And so because this daughter has a limited view when she's younger, it's a very early part of that daughter, like the little toddler that thinks that mom should fix everything and make everything okay. Mm-hmm. So really, you're getting a young adult version of a girl having a temper tantrum or that little baby crying or is wanting us to make it all better. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably the second reason why it can be really tricky and upsetting to have those conversations because they may be kind of a regressed state where they're having a temper tantrum or they're they're just feeling overwhelmed. And so they're almost coming to us almost as a child and yet they're not. So it's it can be confusing, right? For Yes. For moms and for daughters, like, who am I talking to right now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> last week you were killing it. You were doing great. Like, right. All, all yeah. of a sudden you're super upset. And you mm-hmm. know. so what do we do? What are some things that we can do to help clarify those conversations, make them more successful? Yes. Well, the good news is you can turn these hard conversations into a healing conversation. Okay. And this is something you talk about in your book, right? Yes. I have a whole chapter on this because it is very hard Mm -hmm. to use a word again. Yeah. If you can do that, turn a hard conversation to a healing conversation. Yeah. Why is that important? Well, okay. So kind of going back to the, even the beginning in terms of why it needs to be skillful is if you're triggered, your daughter's triggered, she's regressed. Now you're regressed because your whole identity feels like it's on the line, it can really spiral into big time drama. And what I mean by that is both of you are emotionally flooded. Words are said that are mean, they're threats. It can really damage the relationship. So nothing gets healed. In fact, it just is more damage to the connection. What we want to do is have something that potentially could actually harm your connection with your daughter and turn it into even closer relationship with you and more healing. And so, yes, that is what I have addressed in the book and I broke it down into six steps. Okay, so you, yes, you talk about the six keys to a healing conversation. And the first one, I mean, maybe we can just go through those. And I, okay. the first one being have a clear motive. Now that sounds pretty straightforward, but that can be kind of tricky. So what do you mean by have a clear motive? When you are the target of, let's say, 35 accusations coming at you in one minute, it's hard to have a clear motive. But if you know 
this is really not about you, mom. This is about your daughter is hurting and your daughter needs healing. And so if you have her healing as your North Star, it's still hard to hear all the things she's saying, but it helps you just kind of take a deep breath and say, I can sit here because what I really want is my daughter's healing. Okay. And so then you spell out some of the things that you feel like some of these steps that you think will help it go in a more healing direction. And one of the recommendations is that you slow it down. Why is that important? Well, you can just imagine your daughter's getting up the nerve to talk to you about this stuff. The floodgates open. It just is venting all over the place. And there's a lot of things that she's been talking to people about or feeling for a long time. And it's just like, whoa, that's a lot of issues that have just been put into the room. And you can't even discuss any of them. It's very important to help your daughter slow down. And one way you can do that is by saying, that's a lot of important things that you're saying but I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now. Can we go back to what you said about that you felt like I didn't care your junior year in high school? You take it back to one thing. And I said, I know there's a lot of things we need to talk to, but I really want to understand what you're talking about. So you are helping her focus in on something tangible. You don't come at her critically. You don't say, oh my gosh, you're talking about 35 things. Get a grip. Let's talk about one thing. But you do it in a real compassionate way. This is so important and I really want to get it. So can we go back to this thing? Isn't there also kind of nervous system realities that um, can be addressed by slowing it down? I think about like kind of the fight or flight reaction that we have that when you're upset, you're kind of in and you have lots of energy in fight or flight, but you're not necessarily in your thinking part of your brain and you're the most reflective listening part of your brain. So I think the suggestion to slow it down may also be about regulation, almost yes. like helping the nervous system kind of regulate to a place that can be helpful because if we're just, you know, if somebody is just in fight or flight, they're they're not listening. They're either going to just attack more or they're going to go, but they're not going to actually have the ability to cognitively reflect. So slowing down has kind of a nervous system. Oh, that's really good. You know? Yes. And so when mom, you're saying I'm overwhelmed because you probably will be. So you just stating that I'm a little overwhelmed and going back to one thing. Yes. It's not only calming your nervous system down, but it's helping your daughter. Yeah. And this is a therapist trick right here, but it would be wonderful if you could just even talk slower. Yeah. Talk slower or let's take a minute and breathe. I know that sounds super therapisty, but I've actually used that with one of my children when they called me in a full blown panic attack because there was no reasoning our way through that. They needed to calm down first so we could really talk through what was going on. I did guide, instruct, and invite them to breathe for a minute. And I breathed with them so that we could talk about what was going on. Because in the middle of the panic, there was no conversation to be had. 
That's a great idea. And even one to two minutes can change the course of a conversation of just doing that. Absolutely. I mean, it's what we do know from some therapy training and experience is that you really cannot stay in panic if you're taking a deep enough breath. But getting a deep enough breath can you, you know, sometimes you need some guidance on that. Yeah. But as long as we're talking about it, I often use the square breathing. Yeah, me too. Breathe in four, hold for four, and exhale on eight. I taught that to one of my kids when they were like in third grade. They still use it. It's just knowledge about your body and your emotions. And when you feel nervous, kind of how to manage that. That's what I think of when I think about slow it down. Yeah. You also say, listen with curiosity. That's the next thing on your six keys list. Yes. Let's contrast listen with curiosity versus listening for being right or listening defensively. Mm -hmm. And again, listening with judgment. It's like listening with curiosity means there's space in you to receive new information. Mm, That's really good. Mm -hmm. Because if you're all full of your own ideas and judgments and defenses, you're not going to pick up any new information. Now, again, all of this is way easier if you have just done what you said in terms of the breathing and you're more regulated. Mm -hmm. If you can think, going back to, this is about my daughter's healing. This is less about me. This is more about her. Mm What is she really trying to say? What is her pain? What is really going on with her right now? Mm -hmm. And if you get curious and less defensive, then you can discover all sorts of wonderful things. Right. Defensive and assumptions that you know what's going on, right? Because that's the other mistake. It's like, oh, this is just what you always do. Or, you know, you can really fall into like, Oh, you know, I know exactly what's going on with you and let me tell you how to get out of it. And that doesn't give you any space for curiosity. I love the way you phrase that opens you up to new information because sometimes we think we know our kids better than they know themselves. Yes. And there may be times that that was true, but I think particularly in the young adult years, that's not necessarily true. They really are becoming more and more of their own person. If we can be curious about that rather than assume that, oh, the way you were as a kid is how you are now, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to be open to more information. Yeah, no, that's so good. Those assumptions come back so quickly. For example, if she's like, I'm not going to school, she says something like that. There's so many assumptions you could have, but you don't really know what that means. Mm -hmm. You don't know if it's, she doesn't care. She's just wasting my money. She doesn't give a rip about her future or she's in full-blown depression. Mm -hmm. Or she's just not going today. She's not dropping out. Like we don't know what that means. Yes. Listening with curiosity is another way to say that is we're really trying to understand. We're listening with the goal of understanding. Mm-hmm. And what I like to say to all moms is how do you feel if someone listens with judgment when you're talking or listens to correct you or listens with assumptions? Like, I don't know any mother that would love that. Mm-hmm. All of us long to be understood. And I think underneath how it comes out rough and hard, there is a desire for your daughter to understand her in a new way. 
Yeah. So you also suggest that a healing conversation includes taking time. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, well, this goes back to what we're talking about in terms of regulation. Sometimes it's more than one minute or two minute of breathing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like, wow, like you got the wind knocked out of you. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. It's okay for you to take time and have multiple conversations about whatever your daughter brought up. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's better to mm -hmm. do that, And I think. Mm -hmm. And it shows your daughter that you care. You're not just blowing her off. You wouldn't say like, okay, we just can't talk about this right now because then she will feel blown off. But if you say, wow, I really want to think about this. I know this is really important to you, but I'm having a lot of strong feelings come up and I need to just take a break and think about it. Mm -hmm. That's good. So, um, you know, and I've had this happen to myself with my own daughter. And when I'm in the midst of it with her, I'm just in survival mode. Like, I want you to understand me. I, I don't want to be misunderstood. Mm -hmm. But when I could take the time, the first thing that would come up for me were all the intense feelings, the tears, the frustration, the sadness, and I would journal it out. I would take the time to get those feelings out and respect that I had big feelings and respect that I was being judged or misunderstood and why that would feel bad. And I needed to do that to create the space again so that I could listen to her. I see. So give yourself time in part to process your own feelings. Yes, that's good. I think it's always such a good skill to remember that it's okay to take a time out mm -hmm. and that it's actually mm -hmm. really healthy for relationships when you're upset to say, you know what, I can tell that I'm super upset and I want to just take a break so I don't say I, something I regret or something I don't mean or that I don't really hear you. It's a tried and true skill that everybody has as an option to say, you know what, let's just table this for right now. Or can we just focus on this one thing? And I'll get back to you about this other one because I need some time to think about it. Yeah. Saying, I don't know, I need a little time to think about it, I think is also a really respectful way to respond to a bunch of accusations or mm -hmm. all yeah. this new information you've gotten from being curious may need a little digesting. Yeah, absolutely. And moms, we are human and it's okay if we have huge feelings and we do need the time. Yeah. Well, another thing I want to add to this is what you're talking about, Sherry, is the neuroscience here mm -hmm. is when we give ourselves the time to soothe ourselves and name the feelings that we're feeling or what the neuroscientists would say is we can come back online. Like we can think clear, we can access the part of the brain that can actually solve problems mm -hmm. or see things from different perspectives. Right. So right. we need that. And we need that to have room for the next step. The next step <laughs> is to own your part. And I'm assuming you mean own your actual contribution to the conflict. And so what do you mean by that? This is a PhD 
challenge for moms here. <laughs> PhD level. Yeah, it's a PhD level here. Because we're hearing our daughter with all these judgments, we're like, you don't appreciate all the things that I've done for you. We're just full of a million things that we want to say to them. Which is pretty defensive. Yes, but it feels so true. <laughs> Can you access that part of you, Sherry, that part of you that wants to be defensive? And it just like, you just need to know this. I mean, it's true. We have been consciously <laughs> present for all of this kid's life. And they have not because they were little for much of it, right? It's like, no, I know the full story. You only know the part where you start paying attention to yourself. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, it just is so strong in you. I am so humbled writing a book now as a parent of a daughter who's now 26 than one if I never had a daughter. I mean, I could yeah. be so arrogant about this, but yeah, I am humbled by this. Yes, yes. But own your part is I really do believe, even if your daughter feels like she's 99% off of what she's just accused you of, that you have your 1%. There is 1% that you can own how you contributed to this situation. Mm -hmm. And there is no way if you are on the defensive or you're hurt, or you're emotionally flooded, that you will ever get to that 1%. Yeah. But when you take that time and you get away and then you ask yourself, and again, going back to the curiosity, is there any truth to what she said? Mm -hmm. It's not the whole truth. That's where we get really defensive. Because we want to go, well, it's not true because she doesn't get this whole other piece. From her limited perspective, is there truth? For sure. I don't think we can argue with that because their experience is valid just because it's their experience. Mm -hmm. Even if they are believing something that's objectively not true, if it's their experience, it still has value in processing and listening to. Yeah. And then that goes back to the whole purpose of this healing conversation. It is not about us. Yes. If we feel like we need to clear our name, then it's not about her healing. Mm. So owning our part could be intentional or not intentional. It's like, yeah. you're right. I harped on you about school all the time. I didn't know what was going on with you, with your friends. I'm so sorry. It's owning something, you know, and even yeah. if it's a good intention, it's your good intention. But for her, you missed it. You know, it occurs to me that a mother is capable of owning their part only when the story in their head about their mothering is generally a positive and kind one. Mm -hmm. Because if the story in your head is, I probably didn't do a very good job of mothering. I'm probably not very good at this. I'm probably about to be found out that, you know, which yeah, yeah. is maybe true in a few cases, but for the most part, being kind and forgiving of yourself for doing this very hard thing without any kind of real guidance and instruction or experience, you know, it just really requires us to be super kind 
and compassionate with ourselves about the job we did. Yeah. I know that I parented out of a place of love and commitment. And did I get it right all the time? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But if I focus on those mistakes rather than knowing that my overall approach was to offer as much love and support and nurture as I possibly could. Yeah. You know, that's the story in my head that I fall back on so I can be open to owning my part. Yes. As we're talking here, I'm thinking we have another podcast episode, (laughs) which is really the story that we tell ourselves as moms, which we're not going to get there today, but I think it's super important. Yeah. And it starts early and it's an ongoing project. Yes, it is. So I think that's worthy of an own podcast. Yeah. Okay. Completely agree about our defensiveness is related to our view of how well we've done as a mother. Mm -hmm. So I think just a good place to start is okay. Like, I mean, if you own 1%, you're still 99% a good mom. So that's, it's pretty good. So we can start there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You still got an A plus. So then you do get to offer a heartfelt apology again, which would be impossible to do if you have no ability to own your own part. Yes. At least that's the way I see it. I want to hear you talk about what a heartfelt apology is. Okay. So first of all, I think heartfelt apology, it takes time also to get your heartfelt apology. Because if you say it right then, well, you can think about what does your teenager say to you that you don't feel is a real apology? Like, okay, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or we just move on. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Or, well, yeah, let's talk about that. And then I'll talk about a heartfelt apology. Like what are some other like cheap apologies? I'm sorry, but Mm -hmm. if you only understood that, or Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you feel that way. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but you have an undeveloped brain and you have no clue. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're so upset. I'm sorry that you screwed up your schoolwork. I'm sorry that you can't seem to manage your time. (laughs) I'm sorry that you make the worst decisions on the whole planet. (laughs) I'm sorry your priority is hanging out too late with your friends and not taking care of your responsibilities. Those are good examples of not apologizing. That is not a heartfelt apology. Now, I think there is some great therapy. Find a couple of friends and have a glass of wine and just go back and forth. And I think that's good. Yeah. (laughs) So a heartfelt apology is really, and for me, it's like an aha. It's like, oh, like I finally see it from her perspective. Mm. I'm like, oh, I see it. I get it. Like what that would have been like for her. Mm -hmm. Oh, and so it's really about empathy. Mm -hmm. And so when I can come back and start with my 1% and I say, you know what? You were right. I was stressed out or I was angry. I could have said that better. Mm -hmm. You're right. Like I brought my anxiousness into your peaceful day. 
Yes. And if you can even name what it must be like for them, right? I yeah. can imagine that that made you feel misunderstood or not listened to or ignored yes. or, you know, whatever they've given you. Okay. These are little counseling tips, but they're good <laughs> for family dynamics too. Yes. Reflecting whatever they're giving you back to them. I just felt so dismissed. And, you know, you're reflecting that I hear you, that you felt really dismissed. And that probably was really hurtful and scary. You know, you just kind of try to reflect the feeling you're getting from them. Yes. And that helps them feel heard and understood. Even before you say you're sorry, right? It's mm -hmm. good to reflect. Yeah. What you're hearing them say, everybody likes that validation of you actually listened to me and heard me. Yeah. And that's what a reflective comment does. Yeah. And you're sorry because you see the consequence to them. Yeah. How it impacted them in a negative way. Yes. Yes. That's good. And when they hear that, they go, oh, you do get it. Yeah. It's so interesting. I did this a lot with my daughter. And I, you know, how it feels inside is like, you are all wrong, but it's very loud, the all wrong. But when I could go back and go, okay, I get it. A little aha came and I would go back and I would say to her, you know, I'm sorry, the heartfelt apology. It was so interesting. Every single time I did that, my daughter would soften and like literally five seconds later, she goes, mom, I'm sorry blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that we have to model the heartfelt apology. If we mm -hmm. model the cheap apology, their insincere apology, they'll give it right back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your apology makes space for them to also apologize, which creates the repair in the relationship. And that yes. is restoring the connection, yes. which is one of the main premises of your whole book yes you know, is that for the most part mothers and daughters want to stay connected when there's a big tear in that connection there needs to be a repair and a heartfelt apology is one of the ways to start working on that repair yeah so why are healing conversations worth it colleen yes well to state the obvious they are healing for your daughter. They're healing for you and they're healing for your connection. They bring you closer. We think that it's about having the perfect little relationship, you know, is a good relationship, but it's, that's not true. Basically, I think about being able to repair a relationship and stay in there and then have a more authentic relationship that brings you closer. Yeah. And I think it increases more empathy, not only for you, for your daughter, but her for you. And it shows your daughter, and she's still in that place of developmentally learning more about empathy. So you're helping her see and, and perspective taking that there's more to the story. Mm -hmm. There's always more to the story. And I think it's not about being right. You know, I heard a marital researcher say, you know, you can be right or be married. 
<laughs> I mean, if you want connection, you can be right or have connection. Right. And I think you're right. I think the Gottmans talk a lot about the repair and that, you know, again, it's not about how much or how little conflict you have. It's how well you repair it when mm-hmm. it does happen. Mm-hmm. And that successful people in relationships learn how to do that quickly and efficiently and to restore the connection. Yeah. So Sherry, why do you think healing conversations are worth it? Well, I think for that very reason, because the unbearable prospect of disconnecting from any of your kids in a serious way, particularly your daughters, is so painful. We need to know all that we can do to keep that connection going. And again, what I really love about your book is because you frame it in a developmentally appropriate way, like we're looking through the developmental lens at this time of life, it can be less personal. It can feel less about us. It's very much about them going through their next stages of growth and us being a part of that, but almost as an inanimate object, (laughs) as the... (laughs) as the secure home base Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, the instructor authority, let me tell you how to do it. It, They don't developmentally, they don't need that, nor do they want it, nor do they receive it, (laughs) but, but they still want to have home base to return to. So I think winding this up, I just want to encourage all the moms listening that if you have a difficult relationship with your daughter, or you feel cut off from your daughter, or, you know, you've had a lot of fights with your daughter, just don't give up hope because you really can turn these hard conversations into healing conversations. And it's okay if it's a little bit messy, but I think if you do some of the things we're talking about today, which is really like, limiting the hard conversation so it doesn't spiral into really some things like shame and threats and name calling that can really damage a relationship. And you use those like taking time and regulating yourself because you love your daughter. And when you really can refocus to you want your daughter to heal and that she is, like you said, the developmental lens, she's still emotionally immature. And so when you have that as your North star, then, you know, I just think you and your daughter can find your way back to each other. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they need space and that's good. That's not necessarily the end of the story. Right. So that's part of the challenge too. One last story is I was presenting at the Adolescent and Young Adult Conference for therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists. And after I presented, a woman came up to me and she said, my daughter, who's in her 30s, won't have anything to do with me. And we haven't talked for years. And she said, what should I do? And so I said, well, why don't you tell her that you just went to this mother-daughter workshop and that you learned some things about yourself that you want to share with her? Hmm. So she contacted her daughter and told her that or left a message. And her daughter called her right back. Hmm. And then the next day I was in line getting a Starbucks and she grabbed my arm and she said, we had an amazing conversation. Oh my goodness. How very special. 
So I just want to encourage you moms that this works. This works. Yeah. So good. Well, I know that we could keep talking about all of these things. <laughs> we didn't even get to most of our topics, but I think the art of a healing conversation is a really important one. And it's yes. a really valuable part of your book. So I'm glad that you've spelled it out in such detail, because I think that is one of the main tools we can use with our daughters as they are going into adulthood to stay connected and just as uh, regulated as we can be as they're going through all of their huge life changes. Well, Sherry, thank you again for being a great host and for your time. <laughs> of course, <laughs> my pleasure. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like me to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.